go to the Lord together in prayer. Father God, we are so blessed to be able to sing today. It is well. Father, despite the hardships of this life, despite the crisis in this world, despite the sin, despite the brokenness, Father, you have set us on a path towards wholeness, towards glory, and towards hope. So that, Father, we can proclaim, it is well with my soul. Father, today as we gather as a family, as we share together in this special meal, the communion time, Father, as we share in the bread that reminds us of your son's broken body and the cup that reminds us of his shed blood, Father, we remember the great price that was paid so that we can declare it is well. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for the hope that comes because we believe in the resurrection. Bless us as we share together in this meal. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We invite you to make your way to one of the four tables. There's two at the back, two at the front, where you can take the bread and the cup. You're welcome to take it back to your seat. You can take it right at the table. If you need help, if you don't want to make your way to a table, just raise your hand. We have some folks that would be glad to come and serve you where you sit. But may God bless you today as we share together in the body and blood of Jesus. God bless you.
Well, good morning, church. Pardon me while I do just a bit of housekeeping here. Rearrange the furniture just a bit. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day in which the church traditionally celebrates the birthday, the beginning of the Lord's church. And so we've got some balloons up around the building uh, to remind us that it is a birthday today on the front of your program this morning. Uh, You'll see happy birthday church and inside is the sermon outline that you can follow along as we talk about the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. I also want to let you know that following the service today, because it's a birthday, birthday, what kind of birthday it would be if we didn't have cake. And so we're going to have some cake and some coffee and some juice across the hall in the gym uh, following the service. We hope you'll stick around for a few minutes to have some uh, cake and just celebrate the birth of the church. Not just Garden Way Church, but the church eternal, the church worldwide began on the day of Pentecost. And so we're talking about uh, the sermon title today and called Catching the Wind, Catching the Wind from Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Acts chapter 2. Now we all know that breathing is essential to life, right? Pretty, pretty obvious. Uh, each of us, do you realize, takes about 20,000 breaths every single day? Think about that. That's a lot of breaths. And what's amazing about breathing is that it's an involuntary action. We don't even have to think about it. Our brains are programmed to instinctively monitor the balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. When we breathe deeply, our brains send a message to the rest of our body to calm down and relax. And so when we breathe, we can intentionally lower our heart rate, bring down our stress level. Let's just do that for a moment. Let's all just take a breath. According to the Mayo Clinic, breathing may help ease symptoms of stress-related disorders and mental health conditions such as anxiety and general stress and depression and even post-traumatic stress disorder. Take a breath sometimes. Well, with all that in mind, of course, we're in the 21st century and our friends at Apple have created a, a notification app for those fancy iWatches that some of you have. I don't have the iWatch. I just have the old, uh, what do we call this thing? Uh, Fitbit, there you go. Um, But uh, the Apple app is called Breathe, appropriately, and the app reminds its user to be mindful and to focus on proper breathing when it's important at the moment. Now, the problem with the Apple Watch or any kind of device is, you know, is that the, the notifications can be turned off or just simply ignored. Well, friends, do you realize that we can do the same thing with the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the very breath of God within us? We've already mentioned that today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost originated in Hebrew culture as one of the main Jewish feast days. Only they didn't call it Pentecost. That's the the Greek name. The Jews called it the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost was a a celebration of the beginning of the early weeks of, of harvest. In Palestine, there were two harvests each year. The early harvest came sometime during the month of May or early June, and then the final harvest came in the fall. Pentecost was the celebration of the beginning of the early wheat harvest, which meant that 
Pentecost always fell sometime during the middle of the month of May or sometime in June. And so here we are right at the beginning of June and we are celebrating Pentecost. Today, Christians observe Pentecost. We don't observe it as a, a, as a celebration of wheat or a wheat harvest, but we do it to remember the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit first invaded the church as is recorded in Acts chapter two, Pentecost that word pente, you might pick it up there like Pentagon 550. Pentecost is a celebration of the 50th day, the seventh Sunday from Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So seven weeks ago today, 49, 50 days ago, we were celebrating Easter right here. And today, here we are at Pentecost. And at Pentecost, we remember the arrival of God's Holy Spirit, sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, referred to as the breath of God. And we remember the birth or the beginning of his church. And so today, as together we explore for a few minutes the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, all those many years ago, I want to consider with you the route that we have to take to arrive at the destination that God desires for us. And what is that destination? That is the destination of experiencing God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And so like any journey, our journey today begins at the beginning. The beginning. The beginning is full of good advice. We might think about Scripture and we understand that Scripture is full of what we might classify as good advice. The problem is we can't carry it all out on our own. That's certainly the dilemma of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law tells you what you should and shouldn't do, but it doesn't give you the power to perform those tasks. It announces a death penalty of guilt on our heads without lifting us up to the point of giving us assistance. It says, don't do this, do that, but it doesn't give us any help. And then even in the New Testament, think about the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave us. All by itself, do you realize the Sermon on the Mount would be bad news? I mean, think about it. Have you read it recently? Have you tried to do some of the things or all of the things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount? How are we supposed to do that all by ourselves? If that were all of the faith that Jesus had to offer for us, it would in reality, be bad news. Its precepts are beautiful. The ideals are noble. The metaphors are magnificent. But good news? Hardly. Who in the world can live up to it? And, you know, that's not all the disciples heard. They saw Jesus. What did they see him do? They saw him cure people who were sick. He brought at least two dead men back to life. He restored sight to the blind. He put lame folks back on their feet and on the road again. And, and then one day he turned to the disciples. And you know what he said to them? Go and do even greater works than these. Can you imagine that? Good news? Well, he might as well have told them, hey guys, take a trip to the moon. You know, it's never good news to tell somebody to perform the impossible, to achieve the unattainable, to climb the insurmountable. And then furthermore, after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples remembered his words to them. 
those very important words, love one another, even as I have loved you. Well, in the light of the cost to which that love drove Jesus, that kind of instruction could ultimately lead to despair. Who in the world can love like Jesus loved? So if all of this good advice is seemingly impossible for us to live up to, then what are we to do in this journey of spiritual discovery that we're on? Well, that leads to stage two on our journey. Stage two is more power. More power. Jesus knew his disciples needed more than precepts. That is more than rules and laws and checklists. They needed power. Not just a little power, but more power. And so Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem until they received the promised Holy Spirit. You will receive power from on high, said Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, but you've got to wait for it. When you've received that power, Jesus told the guys, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Imagine that, this ragtag bunch of 11 guys who never quite got it in the whole three years they spent with Jesus. And he's saying, you're going to take it everywhere. You're going to do great things, greater things than I have done. What in the world is he talking about? What he's talking about is that precepts plus power is good news. Now, if it hadn't been for the events recorded in the second chapter of Acts, we wouldn't be here today. The cross is good news about God's love. The empty tomb is good news about life eternal. Both the cross and the resurrection, though remarkable demonstrations of the love and the power of God, do you realize they would have been forgotten in ancient history if the Holy Spirit hadn't shown up and provided the dynamic, the power, the more power for the witnesses to go into all the world and to speak the good news. The world's largest embankment dam is called the Aswan High Dam in Egypt on the Nile River. It is 375 feet high and 11,000 feet across. One picture can't even capture its breadth. In fact, in a moment, I'll show you a picture from outer space so you can just kind of get a glimpse of how big this dam is. The dam was completed in 1970, and in 1971, there was a grand celebration, a dedication ceremony, and the 12 turbines with their 10 billion, that's B, billion kilowatt hour capacity, that power was unleashed. Enough power from that one dam to light every city in the entire country of Egypt. And during that long period, it took many, many years, of course, to construct this dam across the Nile River. Do you realize the river was never completely stopped? Even as the, the reservoir was filling, which took several years, part of the river was allowed to flow past the dam. That's because the country folk downstream, they depended on that water on that river. 
They drank it. They washed in it. They watered their crops. They, it turned their mill wheels. They, they sailed on it in the moonlight, and they wrote songs about that water. It was their life. It was all that they knew. But on the day when the reservoir poured through those giant turbines, a power was unleashed, a power that spread far beyond those few country folk downriver. And it brought possibilities that they had only dreamed about. Well, folks, think about this. Pentecost is like the opening of the Aswan High Dam. Before Pentecost, the river of God's Spirit blessed the people of Israel. And it was their very life. But after Pentecost, the power, the more power of the Spirit spread out to light not just a nation, but the whole world. None of the benefits enjoyed in the pre-Pentecost days were taken away, but 10 billion kilowatts were added to enable the church to take the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ to every tongue, to every tribe, to every nation. That is the more power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew exactly what his disciples needed. They needed more power. And he was going to supply that need for them. The excitement, the enthusiasm that was felt by the disciples following their, their encounter with the risen Lord, that was just mere human emotion. It was no match for the opposition that they were about to encounter. They needed more than just their own enthusiasm. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Without him, without the Holy Spirit, they could not even begin to do the job that Jesus had set before them. Well, that has us now arriving then at stage three of our spiritual, our spiritual journey. We've had a beginning. We've had more power and now we enter into stage three, spirit filling. Spirit filling. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. The record of events recorded in second, the second chapter of Acts is very straightforward. Let's begin in verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to notice some symbolism here. Very important. First of all, I want you to note that the record does not tell us that the wind blew upon them. It doesn't say that the fire fell upon them. It says a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house. Divided tongues as of fire rested on each one of them. They heard something like the wind. They saw something like fire. Now Jesus had told them during his teaching ministry that the Holy Spirit was like the wind that blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. They couldn't see the wind. We can't see the wind, but we can see its effects. 
And those tongues that seemed like fire that rested on each one of them reminded them of the holy presence of God. If we think back into Hebrew culture, they likely remembered Moses in the wilderness being startled. You remember by a a bush that seemed to burn and yet wasn't consumed? And as Moses approached that burning bush, he heard the voice of God, the very voice of God. And it spoke to him, Moses, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And then later, all through Hebrew culture, when burnt offerings were taken to the temple and they were consumed by fire on the altar, that fire, that fire symbolized the, the consuming righteousness of God. These New Testament people knew what these symbols of wind and fire stood for. In fact, the scripture tells us the whole city of Jerusalem was aware of these two phenomena. A throng of people had gathered around the temple wondering what had happened. It was to this astonished, very curious throng of people that Peter began to preach. But even before he started preaching, this this mixed multitude that had come from all of the countries in that part of the world heard in their own language everything that was said. And so let's take a look now at verses 7 and 8. And they, that is the crowd, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And so how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language. What in the world is going on here, they wonder. The Holy Spirit in the gift of tongues had simply broken the communication barrier so that every one of them could hear the gospel message in their own native language. It was a gift of speaking and a gift of hearing. And what is it that they heard? They heard witnesses Those 11 men who had been with Jesus witnessing to the power of our risen Lord. And how did they react? Let's look at verse 12 in our text. It says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Can you picture that? Thousands of people gathered around as Peter and the rest of the apostles are standing up and preaching the gospel message in all of these foreign languages. Simple Galilean men, fishermen, blue-collar guys, not educated, and yet able to speak in languages far beyond their own ability. What does this mean? People begin to ask one another, what's going on? What does this mean? They're astonished. They're perplexed. Some of them, feeling like they just had to find some kind of a natural explanation, said simply, ah, they just had too much to drink. They're just babbling away. The power of the Holy Spirit so controlled these men with such a marked effect on their lives that some people heard just assumed that exuberance can only be the result of drunkenness. They were missing the point. Something extraordinary was happening. Something was changing their lives. The Spirit of God had fallen upon them and by that one act had initiated for all Christians down through the centuries the possibility of the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in our own lives. 
It was only after this initial outpouring of the Spirit of God that we find the church beginning to engage in effective communication of the gospel. And so friends, I want us to understand something important important today. It's important for us to know that the sequence of events with Christ at Pentecost is also applicable to us today. Let's just consider that sequence for a moment, okay? First, first there is teaching and the precepts of Jesus Christ. Then came the filling with the Holy Spirit and then the disciples were equipped to effectively serve our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you that the same sequence has to be followed today. We must know Jesus Christ. We must know what he did by his life and his death and his resurrection. Then we too must be filled with the Holy Spirit before we can ever effectively begin to serve the Lord. And so here we find the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to the disciples. This was the beginning of the Christian era. God taking up residence in the lives of his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. And from that day until today, this day, all those who have truly opened their lives to Jesus Christ, who have responded in faith and obedience to him, are people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Now the New Testament makes it very plain that when we receive Jesus Christ, we are baptized. This is when we are identified with the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be children of God. But those who are led by the Spirit are indeed children of God. And so the Holy Spirit was given this beautiful gift But let's think about this for a moment. If all this is true, then you ever think this? I I know I do. Why isn't the church today as alive as those early Christians seem to be? Why isn't it the same? And I think there are at least two reasons, two that I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is this. One could be the fact that the Holy Spirit, though he dwells in every believer, sometimes gets shut up in our lives, pushed into some quiet closet, and is unable because we will not give him the liberty to do so to make us effective in our Christian living. Remember that Jesus said, and he said this to the church. This is very important to know, this statement that Jesus makes. He says it to the church. It's recorded in Revelation 3.20 by the apostle John. This is Jesus speaking to the church, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's talking to the church, which tells us that sometimes the church closes the door. And it shouldn't be that Jesus has to stand outside knocking to get into his church, into his people. And yet, he makes the offer anyway. Open the door and I'll come right in. I'll sit down and have lunch with you. You see, it's not enough to just initially open our lives to Christ. That doesn't just happen one time. We've got 
to turn every single room in the house that is our lives over to him. You see, if we shut him up into some little closet of our lives, he can't begin to fulfill in us what God wants for us. And that is the very best. The apostle Paul later was to warn Christians not to quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to quench the Holy Spirit? That is, he says, don't pour cold water on the spark of his presence. Have you ever had a campfire? What do they tell you? What's Smokey Bear tell you? Dump that water on, stir it up, dump some more. Quench that fire, put it out. Paul says, don't quench the fire of the Spirit in your life. How do we do that? How do we quench the fire? We do it by our insensitivity to him by our disobedience of him, by simply trying to run our own lives instead of listening to him and trusting his guidance. But I think there's another reason why some modern believers don't seem to be as alive as those early disciples. And it can be found, I think, in the experience of the Christians in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, we read the story of Paul on one of his missionary journeys arriving in Ephesus. And he comes into the city and there he finds some disciples, some followers of Jesus. And Paul asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what's their answer? Their answer is, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, these are followers of Jesus, but they haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. And friends, I suspect that there are some people today who are sincere believers in Jesus who are ignorant of the fact of the Holy Spirit, who are ignorant of the truth of the Holy Spirit and therefore fail to live as Christians should live fully because they are lacking power the more power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when the crowds gathered around those disciples on that day of Pentecost, Peter took the opportunity to explain what was happening. He preached his sermon, and then he explained what was happening. He witnessed to Jesus Christ as the crucified and risen Lord. And we learn that on that day, Scripture tells us the people were pierced to their hearts and they asked Peter and the others, what do we do? What is our response to all this? And Peter's response is very clear, very evident when he says to repent, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. We love that part, don't we? Oh, my sin's forgiven. But sometimes we stop right there. And you will receive what? Say it with me. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's important for us to understand that here we see a demonstration of what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear witness to me. See, the Holy Spirit's all about pointing to Jesus. I think it's a word of caution for all of us that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit never calls attention to himself. 
It's always about Jesus, calling attention to Jesus. Where the Spirit is genuinely at work, it is Christ who is lifted up, not the Holy Spirit. When Christ is lifted up, then you can be sure the Spirit of God is at work. The first Pentecost was unique. It was the birthday of the church. It was unique in the same way that the birth of Jesus was unique. Think about this. When Jesus was born, what happened? There was an angel choir to announce his birth. There were shepherds who heard the music and went to see. There were wise men who saw a star and came from afar to worship the newborn Savior. But we don't try to recreate those things today, do we? except maybe in a, you know, a Christmas pageant or something at Christmas time when we try to remember the birth of Jesus. And so in terms of our Christian experience, it's important to understand we don't try to reproduce these kinds of unique phenomena. Rather, it is an encounter with the risen Lord and faith in him that brings us to our knees in faith and obedience. That is is what makes us Christians. And so it is that Pentecost is not to be repeated with its unique phenomena, but rather it is our openness and our obedience to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which began at Pentecost all those years ago, that gives us the power, the more power to effectively serve our Lord. Pentecost was the day Jesus fulfilled his promise to his followers. And it's the day to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ has not left us on our own. This is so important for us to understand. If you are trying to live your Christian life on your own, if you're trying to be a religious person rather than a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have frustration. And it's just not going to work. From Pentecost to this day, every true believer in Jesus is given the Holy Spirit. But remember that Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. He blows where he wills. You can't see the effects of the wind Excuse me, you can see the effects of the wind, can't you? You can see the effects of the wind, but you will never see the wind itself. And so this is going to lead us to our final stage as we talk about our spiritual journey of including the Holy Spirit in our life. In stage number four, we're calling catch the wind. Catch the wind. So how do you catch the wind? You can't package it in a box you can't chase it down and put a collar on it with a leash. You can't take a jar, can you? And hold it up against the wind and then quickly close it and capture the wind. Now, you, you can contain something in there, right? What's in there? Air. Air that's capable of sustaining life, but it's powerless to do anything else. It can't drive a sailboat across the water. 
It can't lift that soaring hawk to greater heights or turn the blades of the windmill. In reality, we cannot catch the wind. But you know what? Sometimes we try to. We try to catch the wind. We try to catch the wind by building our own little theological systems. We have all of our own personal definitions and outlines, and we say things like, uh, here's where the Holy Spirit fits into my theology. You know that, that some believers, some people who claim to follow Jesus reject the idea of the Holy Spirit in their life at all. They instead to prefer to focus on what they deem to be factual and visible and measurable. Scripture. Well, Scripture is wonderful. But apart from the Spirit, apart from the Spirit, it's just ink on paper. There are other believers who, having experienced some kind of, you know, emotional experience, say, this is the Holy Spirit. And unless you experience this particular kind of activity in your life, then you're not a real Christ follower. In other words, they've boxed the Spirit into their experience. They've put the Spirit in their jar and capped it and said, this is what it is. This and only this. You see, too often, we treat the Holy Spirit as if he were an idea to be debated about and not a person to be received. And so essentially, we've closed him in so that he becomes heir to sustain life, but that's all. And so if you can't catch the wind, you know what? At least the wind can catch you. At least the wind can catch you, but guess what? You've got to have your sails unfurled. You have to be ready for the adventure of obedience. If the blades of the windmill are unlocked to turn the generator, if the wings of your soul are spread to be lifted by the currents. See, that's our role, to be prepared for whatever the Holy Spirit has in our life. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind that blows where it will and you will see its effects, and you can feel its force, but the Holy Spirit cannot be wrapped in a package. You cannot contain him, but you can be filled with him. You cannot tie him down, but you can be released by him. You can release the ropes of the sails of your life. You can let go of your desire to control everything in your life. And instead, catch the driving force of his presence. You can spread the wings of your spirit to catch the currents of his power and be lifted up to heights of true living, true usefulness. You see, friends, we can't catch the wind, but we can be caught by it. We can't take the spirit and make him fit into our mold, but we can turn our lives over to him and allow him to remold us, to reshape us. And so this morning I ask, what about you? What about you? 
has Pentecost happened in your life? Have you discovered the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you through faith in Jesus Christ? Remember, it was precepts plus power that made the early disciples effective in their living and in their service. The precepts of Jesus by themselves are not complete. But the precepts of Jesus plus the power of the Holy Spirit are good news because of the more power. You can't catch the wind, but has the wind caught you? Just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing our closing song together. And as they do each Sunday, some of our elders are going to be back in the prayer corner, in the back corner back here. And I want to encourage you, as we sing, maybe you might think about making your way back to that prayer corner and allowing the elders to pray with you, help you to determine your next steps in your spiritual journey. Is Jesus truly Lord of your life? Have you been baptized to share, participate in his death and his burial and his resurrection? To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Are you limiting or containing the Holy Spirit in some way in your life? Then perhaps today is your day to seek guidance and support and prayer from our spiritual shepherds. I'm going to invite you right now to stand together as I pray. And then we'll sing together our closing song. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your perfect plan. Father, we thank you that in your great wisdom, you understand that in and of ourselves, we are just a mess. Father, we need your help. And Father, we we thank you that you have sent the helper. Father, we thank you that you have sent the advocate, someone to advocate on our behalf. Father, we thank you that you have sent the encourager, the one who comes alongside us to walk with us through the hardships and the trials. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes to live in the life of every true believer. Father, may we experience the power of your breath, of your wind, of your truth, of your reality in our lives today. And Father, if we've not experienced that, then I pray, Lord, that today would be the first day that some here could experience that as they take steps of faith and obedience. And Father, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just before we sing that closing song before I let you go. I just uh, I have a couple of uh, family announcements to make. So uh, 
Uh, and then we'll sing, and I encourage you to make those spiritual decisions. But we have a couple of very unique opportunities right here in our community coming up in just the next few weeks. And so I wanted to make sure I mentioned them to you. One is this. Uh, for a number of months now, one of our church members, Rich Green, has been very involved in providing meals to a place called Everyone Village. It's a wonderful place where people are transitioning out of homelessness. They're getting training and help. Uh, and they're making good decisions. And so each Thursday, all the people at Everyone Village that lives there, they gather together for training and support and encouragement. And people come and bring a meal so that they can just enjoy a meal together. Rich has been involved in that for quite a while now. And so over the next three weeks, uh, the last three weeks of June, uh, Rich has com committed our church to provide those meals. And so I want to challenge you this morning to make sure that you think of some way that you could help, all right? Maybe it's by providing a simple meal like a spaghetti meal or tacos or whatever it would be. It's about, for about 40 people. Rich could talk to you about the, the ways that we go about that. Um, Richie, raise, raise your hand. He's back there in the back, and he's going to be out in the lobby. Uh, and so before you leave today, make sure you, you talk to Richie if you could help in that way, uh, if you can help serve or prepare in some way on a Thursday afternoon from 11.30 to 1. Uh, if you can't stay and you can't talk to Richie, then use your connection card in the program today. Write on it your name and your contact and just write um, weekly meals and, and somebody will get in touch with you. Second opportunity, uh, we are partnering, partnering together with our friends down the street at North Park Church to uh, help put on what's called the Harlow Neighborhood Block Party. We're inviting all of the neighborhood to just have a wonderful celebration. And uh, Nan is very involved in this. And, and, and so uh, there's going to be food and music and events for kids and adults. This all takes place on Saturday, June 18th. And we need some help. We need some help in uh, staffing some booths. So maybe you have an hour, an hour and a half that you could sign up. Um, there's a number of areas that you could help supply, you know, help with supplies. And again, uh, Nan, raise your hand. There's Nan. She's going to be in the lobby or around. Talk to her and say, I want to help. Or if you can't talk to her, write it on the card there. Just write block party. Somebody will get in touch with you. We need folks to sign up by the 10th. So that's just a, a few days away from now. We need to know who can help. And, and, and so it's, the time is, is short. So those are your two opportunities. And I just challenge you to step up. Because these are ways that we can re represent to our community, the love of Jesus in very practical ways uh, as a congregation. So those are our challenges. Please take advantage of our elders and their desire to pray for you today. Let's sing that final song, Lynn.